Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have John Epperson. Hello, everyone. Luke Stutters. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest that's Sean. Is it Marcia? Yes, Marcia. Awesome. I think we've had you on before, if I'm remembering right. But do you want to just remind people who you are? Sure. Uh, hey, I'm Sean. I created this thing called Ruby for Good that basically uh, gets developers to use our skills uh, for good, doing uh, meaningful work. Awesome. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. jsremoteconf.com. Do you want to just give us a brief rundown of what Ruby for Good is? Yeah, definitely. So it's it's a couple things. Like uh, it's it's hard to kind of nail down. Like a lot of people know us uh, for the events we put on, and so like we'll put on kind of like conference. Like uh, I don't like to use the word hackathon because I think the word hackathon has been kind of corrupted by the like toxic people in our community. These events where you just kind of go and burn yourselves out. But uh, we do kind of like a long weekend long retreat, a code retreat where we build software for uh, like civic and like nonprofit organizations, like. Diaper banks, food banks, uh, women's shelters, places like that, like places doing good in the world. And then we also continue on the work outside of the events. So it's like a year year long mission of good. So we, you know, people are contributing, submitting pull requests throughout the year. Nice. So um, yeah, I went on the website and I'm seeing a whole bunch of projects from 2017, 2016. I'm a little curious as we get started. I mean, what's the criteria for? Uh, project is it pretty broad or are you looking for specific causes or what what are we looking at here uh so, so yeah that's, that's a great question so we don't as long as it's like helping people like in the past couple of years we've been focusing on projects that that are helping like more than just like one single nonprofit. like um like while it's great just to help a, a single place you know solve a single problem we've been focusing on on projects like you know the the diaper bank app that a lot of people know about where you know it's helping now i think there's a hundred and some diaper banks across the country using it and so so we're trying to focus on projects where we can be a force multiplier but we still do these these tiny little uh nonprofits. um and then each year how it works is we try and organize the projects kind of around a theme like things that we feel kind of capture the uh like how people are feeling. So like this year, we're, uh, well, I guess, depending on what happens with the coronavirus, uh, like this year, we're probably going to be doing a lot of projects kind of around the environment and, um, you know, helping uh, people trying to uh, uh, focus on that area. Gotcha. Uh, I'm trying to make the connection between the coronavirus and the environment, but... Oh, sorry. Well, so like with the coronavirus is we we don't know necessarily what's going to be happening this year as far as we forget, you know, uh, and having an in-person event. And so like we're obviously right now adapting and trying to figure out how we're going to run our our event remote. So, so if we're if we're a remote event, we're going to have to uh, uh, think and because like, some like sometimes working with stakeholders doesn't work the best when, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's fully remote, I guess. Uh, because like we we invite the stakeholders to attend the conference with us, and they sit down in rooms with us. So, so oftentimes, like if you have a very uh, technically savvy stakeholder, you can you could do these uh, like a a remote event that's going to work really well for them. But if they're you know if they're not very technically savvy, perhaps we won't be able to work with certain nonprofits. If that's making sense. So does it have to be related to a uh, to a nonprofit? Or can it be like, hey, I've got this great idea to check in on old people during coronavirus or deliver groceries to old people during coronavirus or something else? Uh, yeah, so like that's how we're different than like kind of typical hackathons where, you know, like a lot of times you go to a hackathon, you just kind of like hack on things and then they get thrown away at the end of the weekend. Uh, like we know, like like we identify specific problems and needs at like tech, like, it doesn't have to be a nonprofit. It could just be like a, an organization that's doing good that necessarily, not necessarily is a 501c3, but is a, like just someone out there that's doing good in the world. And like, we're happy to work with them. But like, we do want like an identified problem that we can solve, uh, like using our skills. And so, and like, that's why as well too, like, it's not just, like, we don't just start 
like the weekend of our event, we start working with like these these organizations six to eight weeks before our events, and we start you know like drilling down requirements and needs, and so like we have actual problems that we're going to be solving. Right, and if somebody wants to get involved that doesn't do Ruby, I mean, is there some mentorship, or are you expecting people who contribute to already know how to build apps with Ruby Rails Rack? Whatever. No, definitely. Uh, so, like, like that's part of a kind of the the mission. Like, so Ruby for Good has a three part mission, and like the first part is obviously like th- that's the easy part to understand. Like, let's help make the world gooder and help these organizations who are, uh, you know, doing so much good in the world. But then, like the other two parts are like one to kind of grow the technical community, especially the, those in the technical community that are underrepresented. And then the third is just to provide like leadership opportunities. And so, like even if you've never coded before. Uh, you're welcome to come out and you're welcome to, like, if you want to be a developer, uh, like, if you have other skills and you want to participate, like, we have a lot of designers, we have, like, like project and product people come. And so, like, however you want to get involved, like, there's an unending amount of work for people to do. I'm pretty familiar with a local organization that is called Code for Charlotte. They're part of, or they're now called Open Charlotte Brigade, I'm sorry. And they're part of, like, the Code for America Brigade. Which is like the national organization. So, you're are you familiar with this? How are you different? Like, yeah, what what's different between the two of you, or whatever? Or are you like partners, whatever? Uh, no, no. So, so like we're we're a little different than them. Like, in like Code for America is amazing. They do amazing, awesome work. But like their like their mission statement is like I think it's like we believe government can work, and so like they're focused on on helping government and government agencies and exposing data. And like, and I recognize that that's crazy important. Like, I work in government, and I know how important this, uh, this, uh, this is. But like, we're we're focused on nonprofits, and so who we feel are like underrepresented, like in kind of the the tech sphere. And so, so like, yeah, their mission is government. Ours is nonprofits. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So now that I have my hands around this a little bit more, do you want to just reiterate what the mission is of Ruby for Good? Because now, now I think I'm kind of going to get it. <laughs> no, sure. Like, like I said, like the, the mission is basically to make the world better, uh, however we can, and like, using our our skills. Because like, there are a lot of nonprofits out there that are you know people out there that really need people with our skill sets, but would never be able to afford us. And so, like, you know, we're trying to uh, you know provide our skill sets to people who need us like generally. And then like the other things, like I said, growing the community and then just providing like leadership opportunities to people in the community, like regardless of your skill level. And so even if you're a brand new junior or if you're a senior, we want to provide you those leadership and educational opportunities. Is there an equivalent like national organization? Like are there other organizations like you doing, I don't know, Python for good or JavaScript for good or anything like that? Are there any... Of those kinds of things going on, not really, uh, or not that I know about. Like there is a Python for Good that w- you know we tried to like we're trying to also kind of get off the ground, but it's uh, it's been a little slow going, and we had some some venue like we did it in 2017 and 2018, and then 2019 we had a, a venue issue, so it didn't happen, and then now with the coronavirus, probably not going to have it this year. I don't know anything about it, anything for like JavaScript for good or Go for good or Elixir for good or any of these, any of the other uh, multitude of languages out there though. Okay. So you've talked us through some general projects and, and you guys are have like kind of an environment theme going on. Um, you said that we're probably familiar with the Diaper uh, app that you did. I unfortunately am not. Would you talk through... Maybe that project or another one, just kind of talk about like what you did. Yeah, definitely. So I think it was back in 2015 or 2016, we initially started this project. It was for the Portland Diaper Bank, like just a, a single diaper bank. We built, her name was Rachel, uh, a diaper bank inventory management system. And like if you're not familiar with diaper banks, they're like food banks, but they are for diapers because, um, can't afford diapers for your kids. It's you know puts you in a really bad situation. You can't uh, you can't put them in daycare if you don't have diapers. If you can't put your kids in daycare, you have to stay home with them, and then you know then you're just even in a, in a worse situation because you can't go work and and so Makes sense. yeah. And so then like so for Rachel, like you know she was using a combination of like spreadsheets and like just different ways of like keeping track of all her inventory. And like there wasn't really anything out there for diaper banks, like kind of for their specific need. And so we, we sat down with her. And we built her like a like an inventory management system, 
and you know, and she loved it. it leverage it was kind of like naive that first year. It leveraged Active Admin a lot and kind of a bunch of different like just off the shelf things like in Ruby. But like so we built it. She loved it. She took it to then like she was showing it off like that year at the big national diaper bank conference. And it turns out that you know every other diaper bank has a, a similar need. And so then, so then, like the next year at our event, we rebuilt it as a multi-tenant application that like any diaper bank could use. And then from there, you know, like we had our first kind of few signups, and then now there's like a hundred plus diaper banks across the country using it, helping. Like I think this year it's on track to help like over two million kids, which is kind of kind of cool. Sweet. Okay, so so it's a bunch of volunteers giving their labor. How do you how do you pay for I guess hosting now that you have a bunch of people you know, using this app or whatever. Yeah, no, that's great. And like, so Microsoft, and I want, I don't know if anyone here is affiliated with them, but if you are or anyone's listening, we love Microsoft. They, uh, they provide free hosting to projects that are like to nonprofits. They give them like $3,500 a year of credit on Microsoft Azure, oh, which wow. is, yeah, which is amazing. And so like, because like, you know, these projects aren't even, even having a hundred diaper banks using this, you know, like that's, it's still not a large application and like $3,500 is more than, you know, like any of our apps is ever going to need. And then I guess if we ever got to the point where yeah, that $3,500 wouldn't cover it, you know, then we could figure something out then. But yeah, it's, it's fantastic that they do this. Awesome. So in order for you to run this, do you have to be a nonprofit yourself? Well, no, like, like so like we are like, so like Ruby for Good is a, a nonprofit and like that was just like like it wasn't because like we needed it to be, but it was just some of the benefits out there like for free, uh, um, you know, Google Suite, some of the just some of the perks that you get for being yeah. a nonprofit. We we have people up. donate, right? Stuff like yeah, okay. I'm I'm a little curious because I know people that have other causes that may not fall under Ruby for Good or Code for America or some of these others, but want to put stuff together. So if let's say that I wanted to set one up and it's you know, I'm just going to make something up that's totally absurd. But, you know, let's say I, I have something that benefits people that have left hands, right? And um, so, you know, it's like code for left hands. How would I go set that up? I, I don't know if I, if I understand. Like, what, so, what, so if I wanted to create like Ruby for good, but instead it's Ruby for left-handed people. Oh. Right, as as a nonprofit that benefits, you know, whatever. Right, I'm I'm trying to pick something that's like nonpartisan that nobody's going to have a feeling about. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. Um, geez, I don't even know. I guess you, uh, you know, like, because like, like we we started with kind of finding our base community of people who want to do good and uh, or people who were interested in a similar thing, like, uh, like kind of tweeting out and like. Like we were also like there were a couple like like I was affiliated with a couple nonprofits who were doing kind of this you know doing this work before I was even affiliate you know before I started Ruby for Good and you know I was I was helping them and then you know you just talk to your friends talk to your community it's like oh I'm working on this thing that's helping uh you know helping this these people with mental disabilities and um like finding get housing and like oh that's kind of cool like do you need some help and just other people were interested and because. You know, I guess you find a community around it, and then that community grows. And so, people who want to help left-handed people, uh, whoever they are, they would uh, probably congregate and they find out what you're doing. Right, and then you just go to an attorney and set up the five hundred one c three if that's the direction you want to go. Or yeah, like I just right, I I used uh, there was just like an online service I used to cost uh, I don't know a couple hundred dollars to right. get the paperwork and fill it out. So if I want to get involved with this, how, how do I do it? Oh, definitely. So, like, if you want to get involved, you can join our our Slack community, and then just you could jump in there and say, "Hey, I have uh, I have some some bandwidth. I can give a couple hours. I can give a like whatever your time is." And then the different people in there, I'm sure, would say, "Like, hey, this is this is this is our diaper project, and we could use some help with uh, our mailer, or you know, this or X, Y, or Z, uh, you know, problem that they're having." Or, "Hey, here's our our Terra Stories application that helps you know preserve the." Oral histories of people in uh, of indigenous people or like, these different projects, and you know whatever was interesting to you, you could just jump into the our GitHub uh, the GitHub repo and you know find an issue and start contributing. And obviously, you could also come to one of our events, uh, but with uh, you know with Corona, I'm not quite sure when our next in person one is. Uh, we're going to be doing a remote event in April, and so we'll see how that turns out. But you're all definitely welcome to attend that event. Nice. Do you have details for that event up somewhere where people can find it so we can put it in the show notes? Uh, definitely, yeah. It, there, 
by the time the show goes up, it should be like, it is our, our West coast event that we're turning into the, uh, the remote. Like we call that one Ruby by the Bay, but like there's a link to it right on the Ruby for good website. And so we'll probably just change that link to just, you know, sign up for the remote event. And so. Awesome. So do all of these projects, I assume, you know, we're talking about Ruby for good. Do all of these projects use Ruby? Do you have projects that don't use Ruby? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like we, like, so it's by and large, you know, like, like there's a, like, you know, on like a, like a hackathon where you go and like, there's all these like disparate like skill sets and, you know, there's C developers and Java and Ruby and Python. Uh, like, you know, we do have just generally Ruby developers there. So you can kind of uh, like focus, but like we've had some machine learning projects where we helped, uh, we helped a red panda researcher um, where we uh, we built her like a video classification thing using like uh, TensorFlow and like with machine learning, uh, but like but but yes, but by and large, so the projects are all Ruby projects. Okay, I'm super fascinated by this. So you're saying that it's not a hackathon; it's a, a long term commitment to some of these issues. So let's say that there is a project out there that I want to start, or maybe there's a, a nonprofit that I want to uh, you know associate with and help with their mission. How do I tie that into Ruby for good? Like, what's the process of getting that all set up? Well, definitely. So, on our website, we have a like a project submission. So, like, if you like, if you're affiliated with a local uh, a local nonprofit that you you volunteer at or that you know about, or like a family member, or a friend volunteers at that you know about, like, definitely like submit it, uh, and then. Uh, like there's a bunch of just kind of questions like like what do they do and you know we'll get in touch with them or we'll get in touch with you uh, like perhaps you want to be really involved in the project and kind of be like this project lead like yeah and if it, if it's a good fit for us we'll we'll undertake it yeah my kids uh, charter school though is set up as a nonprofit for example right and and that's mostly for tax reasons it's also a state entity and it's probably not a good fit for Ruby for Good. So my guess is is that there is some vetting that goes on afterward. It kind of sounded like that from what you were saying too, where it's, okay, we're going to evaluate this and see if it makes sense for Ruby for good. So are, are there some candidates that are kind of no-brainers that you think might come your way over the next few months? Yeah, good question. I, I don't know. Like, so like aside from... Like obviously, like maybe there's going to be a project coming coming in the next couple of months with regards to like the, you know the coronavirus and COVID nineteen and like some figure out if there's some way we can help with that or help with people helping with that. But like outside of that, like I really think right now, like there's a lot of need and desire to help with anything related to the environment. Like just there's you know all the all the horrible environmental news we're hearing like day in day out. Like there's a lot of interest in people like like from people that they want to contribute to projects like that and so uh so like that's why like i think like that's why this year was going to be focused on like environmental issues but, but like that's not to say that like we're like when i say too like when we we vet these projects like a lot of times it's just vetting too to make sure that these aren't like something that it's just beyond what what we want to build like in what I mean by that is like we don't want to go rebuild Facebook for someone because like it's already out there. It's like oh, this is way more like you know we're not going to right rebuild an entire uh, uh, giant thing out there when there's like a solution out there. Like we'll just say go use Trello. We're not going to rebuild Trello because there's a free tool that you can use. Like that's more what I was talking about. I gotcha. Makes sense. This is a this is a really great thing to be doing. I I went to a talk in Hacker News uh, London a few years ago, which I thought was going to be people doing things for charity. But what it was actually about was a guy who was trying to make money out of charities. So it was basically a kind of tech consultancy that were charging a lot of money for people in the nonprofit sector. So it's uh, it's really great that you're kind of organizing this to genuinely help people. That's a, that's a fantastic thing for the Ruby community. Yeah, and, and it really draws a really special group of people, I feel like, if you... Well, I guess it, I guess it would have to, like, because people pay to come to our events. So, like, people are paying to come do what they do in their day job for for free or like for someone else. And so, like, I guess it really tells you the uh, uh, like just amazing people who attend these events. So, do you find that the Ruby community is a little bit different to other um, programming communities? Oh, definitely. Like, I I came to the Ruby community actually from the Python community, which also has a really good group of people. But like, one of the things. Like that, we really uh, like about the Ruby community, or I really like the Ruby community. It's the whole like Miniswan thing that you always like. That was like I was taught that early on. You know, Matt's is nice, and so we are nice. Kind of like that tenant of the Ruby community, and so 
So you'll see on like every every kind of Ruby for Good thing we do, we on a, like on the back of all our T-shirts, on our on our mugs, we always put Miniswan on there somewhere just to uh, like just to denote that you know like like hey like this is great and this is special. Yeah, I uh, I've certainly found the Ruby community to be quite unique compared to other language communities I've been in. Um, the word I'm looking for is weird. I find uh, it's, it's it's a language that uh, draws eccentrics, but that can be a good thing too. You know, it takes all takes all sorts, and uh, it's it's a uh, it's a fantastic language to glue things together. How many of your projects are kind of using Ruby as glue to kind of interconnect different services? Oh, geez. Uh... Well, most of them, like even like even that like TensorFlow machine learning project, we still have uh, kind of like a web front end to that, like a little bit of like a, a tiny little Rails app. But then, like even though in the background it's all TensorFlow and you know and a lot of shell commands and like uh, Unix commands, but those are all still being shelled out to by using Ruby and like system calls through Ruby. So, what is the TensorFlow project? So um, I met with uh, like uh, Elizabeth Freeman. She is a uh, so if you Google her, she's kind of a fascinating lady. She's studying like uh, inf- infant mortality of uh, red pandas because like half of all red pandas that are born, like whether they're born in the wild or in captive captivity, uh, they, they just die and they don't know why. And so like she she pioneered this this pr- program where they put in all they created all these nest boxes, which like approximates uh, a red panda like kind of nest that they live in with cameras in it, and so. So she had like you know twelve thousand hours of red panda like baby red panda footage of like red pandas going in and out of these nest box having babies, and she that's needed, a lot of hours. Yeah, exactly. And so and so what she was doing is she was having like graduate students come in and uh, you know like watch this and like watch these and classify like when they're on camera when they're not on camera, you know just like kind of like further research so then they can go back and then you know like if like if and when one of the uh, one of the cubs, uh, you know, dies for whatever reason, then they can go back and they can, you know, try and like determine like like what 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 they were doing, what the causes were, and like and this is like a kind of like a perfect uh, reason or a perfect use for computers. Like, hey, like computers can watch video, and it was a pretty basic like kind of training model too. Like like it's very you know binary. You know, it's the, you know the pandas on on camera or it's not because. Like I said, there's 12,000 hours, and like sometimes it, you know they're on camera in the nest box, and sometimes they're not, and so. Right, so we built this and you know went through and then classified it all for and just saved them you know thousands of hours of grad student time. Yeah, so instead of using the um, grad students as kind of a mechanical Turk style uh, panda clickers, then you build a uh, internet connect between presumably OpenCV or was it actually the TensorFlow itself? No, it was it was actually uh, TensorFlow itself. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, then uh, did you did you put a an interface on it? How did they interact with this? Yeah, so there was a like that that was the one that had a little bit of a Rails front end that they would then upload these videos to because they had all these videos in like different kind of places like some were on like this this is person's computer some were on that person's computer and so they would just like upload them and it would like right it would then watch it would like watch like quote unquote the videos and classify them uh, and like one of the things like we found though too is like that our our classifier. Was uh, was a lot more accurate than the the students watching it because the students like these grad students, <laughs> well, you know, like, they would get bored and they would be like fast forwarding because like these videos were like twelve hours long and so like they would be like kind of fast forwarding and and so they would miss sometimes like the mm. chunks where the the panda would come in and out because we thought our training data was bad because like they had all these videos that were uh, like pre classified and so then we were you know we were comparing ours against theirs and like ours was like had things that theirs didn't have and so then we're worried that the classifier wasn't working then it just turned out that their students were doing uh like we're, we're missing some of the uh, the intervals so you put all the panda wa- uh, panda watches out of a job i guess so yeah and like because because that is a pretty amazing job watching red pandas all day so yeah i want to do that wow i called youtube I did- folks oh oh live live pandas sorry <laughs> Well, there's a, there's a bit of a Schrodinger's panda effect going on here because they're kind of watching to see if the panda's there or not. Have you thought about making the transition into a data analytics career? Springboard's data analytics career track is similar to an online data analytics boot camp with the difference that a career track follows a project-based learning methodology where students work on real-life projects that employers are interested in. The program is 100% online and every student is paired with a data analytics expert who provides unlimited one-on-one mentorship throughout the program via video conference calls. 
Springboard offers a job guarantee in all their career tracks. This means you don't have to pay for the program until you secure a new job in data analytics. The Freelancer Show is exclusively offering a scholarship of $500 to interested applicants based in the U.S. or Canada. Make sure to use the code DASPRINGBOARD when you enroll. There are only 20 scholarships available, and scholarships are awarded on a first-come, first-served basis. Check if you qualify by applying at devchat.tv DA. That's for data analytics. The application is free, and it takes about 10 minutes. Just to remind you, if you want a new job in the tech industry and you're passionate about data visualization and business analytics, then Dashboard's data analytics career track might be the right choice for you. Remember, if you don't get a job in tech after completing the program, you don't pay. I found like, the, the place that really, really shines for solving problems where maybe people have like a real, uh, well, not a business case in this situation, but something they spend a lot of time on and they know that you can do this, but they can't get that final step into kind of putting the blocks together. Then uh, the, uh, you know, the sheer number of gems are out there now and uh, the real ease of command line text processing is, you know, you can do it in, like I said, just a few hours. And wow, if you can save people 12,000 hours of CCTV watching time, that's a big result. No, definitely. And like, and the cool thing about that one is, I guess, like they're looking at expanding it now to like some of their other partner uh, universities or institutions, because like, like Elizabeth is affiliated with the Smithsonian National Zoo, but apparently there's also some red panda researchers in uh, Cincinnati and San Diego and a group in like uh, mainland China that they're also affiliated with that they're looking at maybe retraining the models for like their specific nest boxes too and using them with all their data as well. So it's really exciting. I don't want to get too much into it in case uh, I don't know what your uh, how deep you got into this one, but how did you get TensorFlow to talk to Ruby? Yeah. So, and again, like it was just a lot of like, uh, like shelling out. So like, you know, you like are, how familiar are you with TensorFlow? And so, uh, uh, but like, it was just like gotten like, like shelling out the commands, getting the, like the return values back and, and reading them. So like, it wasn't, it wasn't as complicated as, as you might, uh, you might think. So. Well, I'm going to go and give that a go now. That's really interesting. There weren't any specific gems that you found were like, yep, this is what, Tools. No, I actually yeah. didn't use any gems at all. And like we used, uh, it was like uh, the TensorFlow uh, uh, like inception classifier, which, because again, it was a, just a very, like that one, because it's very Boolean, like it's either there or it isn't. And so it made it really easy to just, uh, uh, like I said, just like look for uh, like the, this, the state, you know, it's like there or not. And so it was really easy to train, you know, train with a bunch of pictures, you know, with red pandas and train it with a bunch of just empty nest box pictures. You mentioned the environment. Now, one of the things about the environment is when you're dealing with, like, you know, monitoring projects, as you said, you've always got to talk to hardware. So if you're doing, like, a kind of temperature monitoring product, you need to talk to the temperature module. If it's a kind of weird Zigbee thing you've got around uh, the site and you need to have kind of have that layer. How, uh, how much hardware talking have you done with, with Ruby for Good? And how uh, have you found what works and what doesn't? Yeah, like, so... Like kind of one of the original projects I did that got a lot of like I spoke at a bunch of conferences was uh, I did a bee monitoring project where like we're monitoring beehives for this uh, this researcher who was he was studying like colony collapse disorder. Uh, rubies, good. Yeah, rubies for good. Uh, and so he was. Uh, <laughs> Why I, am I, I laughing at that? <laughs> I have heard so many bee puns, but um, but no, uh, like we were we used um. We were using like Raspberry Pis and like just some different uh, things like that. But like the reason I used Raspberry Pis in that project was just that I had like four of them sitting like on my, uh, that I had bought. They were sitting on my shelf that I wasn't doing anything with. And so it was free because we didn't really have a budget. It was just, it was just a, a professor I'd met at a, a university that lives nearby who uh, he's like, oh, you're a computer person. Can you help me solve this problem? And, um, and so then we were monitoring like the weight, the temperature and... right. What not inside uh, beehives? Yes, yeah, so there's a strong interest in bees in the last few years because of all the trouble they've been having, uh, and uh, I think people still quite aren't sure what's causing the uh, bee populations to decline so much. They had a big Kickstarter for like a synthetic hive. Have you seen that one? The kind of hive where it, it takes the honey out on its own. Yes, you don't have to reach in and get the honey. Uh, I like bees. I think they're great. The uh, so that would have been like the Raspberry Pi camera module. 
Actually, there was no cameras in that one. It was uh, it was just using a sensor, like a single sensor that went inside the hive, like to measure the temperature. Because like uh, like something cool about bees is like keep the internal temperature of the hive uh, the same, whether it's like the middle of winter or the middle of summer. You know, so like if it's the middle of uh, winter, they have these bees that because uh, like. Well, it was something neat they learned is, you know, when they pull those honeycombs out, there, there's always like a few holes that aren't filled in. Yep. And it turns out that they have a special bee that breaks its wings off and they, they go into those holes and they just spend all day like vibrating to generate heat. And um, no. yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a, I guess it's a, I don't know, it's it, a life. But, doesn't uh, it kill them when they do that or something? Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, but okay. like, so but they enough. generate heat, and then they have other bees that they gen they they absorb like the heat in their body, and then they go and they you know they leave the hive and like dissipate it, and so so it's kind of neat, uh, and so like, that's why we we had the probe in the hive, and then we had a couple of like these weight sensors under the hive to look at, at like weight of the hive, uh, because like because uh, like this Herman the professor I was working with he was trying to catch a hive before it collapses because like he wants to like kind of study like the life cycle of a, of a hive collapsing. So if he could see a hive, you know, like if he could kind of get these warning signs and so like, you know, maybe he sees that, okay, the temperature in this one is fluctuating or like the weight is not going up because like you should see like the weight kind of, you know, like throughout the year kind of linearly going up. Like obviously it goes, it goes up at night and then down in the morning, you know, when all the bees come back and the bees leave, like there's like these little jumps. But like, kind of like overall, there should be this, uh, you know, linear increase, uh, and like that's also why we had like a, a temperature and moisture probe outside because like you know if there's lots of rain and stuff like, like that would you know you can if you control for that that's why like the, maybe the weight would stay steady because um, like the bees aren't going out when it's like storming and so right and so we were just we were just uh, like putting these and it was also kind of cool because like we. Uh, they were solar powered and because like they were out in the middle of, of like fields and stuff or they are out in the middle of fields. And so like, so the researchers would come, they would connect to the, um, uh, like the Raspberry Pi, like on whatever their iPad or something, they would pull up, uh, you know, beehive.local and, uh, right. and, uh, you know, look at the, look at the charts. Cause I guess like they have all this like fancy expensive equipment that they can use, but you know, you just don't want to leave it out in the middle of a field, like, you know, a, mm. you know, a $10,000 camera that can like, see into the hive like through the walls and stuff and but if they if they know it's going to collapse they'll have you know they'll put a grad student on it and sit with the camera and and you know and collect samples and do all the things that they want to do so in that case you kind of made a totally self-contained bee monitoring raspberry pi device yes yeah what was what was the device called oh i don't know it was just a raspberry pi <laughs> it didn't uh, it, i was hoping there'd be some kind of beef related or honey related pun in there that's uh, what i'm shouting for and we, we really missed the boat there um uh sadly and like the uh the funny thing with that is like like herman the professor that we we work with is uh he's from Colombia originally and i was i was talking to him because like you know we've been monitoring hives for a few years now but like not a single one that we've been monitoring has collapsed and so, which, you know, which is great, I guess, for those bees, but like it's bad for his research because, you know, monitoring all these hives, like, because again, he's trying to catch one before it collapses so he can like get all this, this data. Right. And so, so I told him, well, all we need to do is just monitor every beehive and then none will ever collapse. And, uh, but I guess he didn't get my humor because he's like, no, no, that wouldn't work. They will still collapse. And so, but so. Professors, what are you going to do? The, what what model of Raspberry Pi did you use? Oh, it was one of the the earlier ones, like just like a Raspberry Pi or maybe even a Pi Two. Was it a, was it a two B? <laughs> You're worse than I am, Luke. Sorry. Oh yeah. So so I definitely did some looking up with this. I always thought that temperature regulation was a sacrificial act. I couldn't find anything on it, so I'm just full of crap. But to move us on from bees, so that maybe we can reduce some of our puns for a little while. Uh, until we find a new thing, can you can you talk about what's involved as an individual coder? If I wanted to get involved, it looks like there's kind of two tracks getting involved in Ruby for Good. There's kind of like the lead kind of track and the volunteer track, or at least those are the terms you have on your site. Yeah, definitely. So, like, if you want to lead a project, like if you're an ind- like an individual contributor and you want to come in and lead a project, and like we we obviously we help you with that. Uh, we'll put you in touch with one of the you know, a nonprofit that has reached out to us that needs help or like one of our existing projects. Cause it's like people, people cycle on and, you know, just like any open source project, like people like leave the team, they join the team. And so like we found too, like that, 
like people often have family members or or whatnot that volunteer or work at like different places. So like maybe you have a have a relative that works at a diaper bank. And so like, hey, I want to join the diaper bank team and we can cycle you on as a lead. And then like someone that will, you know, like help create issues, create, you know, review pull requests and kind of like lead a team. But if you're just a, like an individual contributor that wants to like, just kind of like, hey, I've got two hours this weekend or, you know, I have some, some spare bandwidth that I want to, you know, I want to make a difference with. Like, like definitely just, you know, like I said, you can jump into our Slack room. You can just, or you can just go to our, our GitHub page, like just github.com slash Ruby for good. Take a look at the different projects. Look at, look for an open issue and, you know, like claim it, say, Hey, I'll, uh, you know, I'll take care of this issue that helps diaper banks or I'll take care of this issue, uh, on voices of consent or whichever one of our projects. Are all projects then open source so that I can just hop on or are some of them private and thus I would have to like join the organization, get vetted, and then somehow have to join? Yeah, so like the vast majority of the projects are open source. Uh, and like like some projects after we finish them, like we we kind of like transfer them out and give them to the uh, organization to kind of manage. Like maybe they have uh, like Ruby developers or... Um, like they have a way of kind of maintaining themselves. Uh, like there have been one or two projects that we haven't like that have been like kind of closed source all through, and like they're private and they're private repos. And like that's not like you know like we we want everything we do to be open source. But like uh, like these were like uh, the the few times we've done that, and the one I'm thinking of in my head, it was for uh, it was for like a women's shelter and like dealing with like a vulnerable population. And like they didn't even want anyone to know that this application existed. And so you know, and we want to obviously keep people safe. And so like that project is uh, like, it, like it exists, but it's obviously in a private repo and not, you know, available for anyone to, you know, know what it does or anything about it. Sure. So for the most part, I could without any, uh, I don't know, I guess gates for the most part, just go and just join a project and like give some of my time by, uh, I don't know, fixing an issue, just like I would for any open source project. Some of them are requires a little more work. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. Just, you know, like I said, yeah, jump in. They're open source. They should all have like kind of getting starting guides and things like that. And then, yeah, grab an issue. Or if you you see an issue that's not labeled, uh, you know, create it and contribute. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe maybe I'm just the one that didn't get the distinction. Uh, What are you looking for or what exactly is the lead track? It kind of sounded like, oh, hey, maybe somebody already in the volunteer community, but just to kind of uh, help people understand the difference. I mean, there's obviously from the word lead, a difference in responsibilities here. Yeah. So, so for example, like a lead is going to typically kick off a new project. And so, so like right now we're kicking off a project for CASA, which is an organization that is like court appointed social advocates. It's people who basically they help foster kids and like they're a large national organization. They have like 850 plus chapters across the country and right, they just, they help foster kids. And so, uh, so we're building them something. And like, if you, so like using them as an example, and you came to us and said like, Hey, Hey, Sean, I want to be a lead. And so like, um, like we, we have leads for that project, but like we would say, okay, cool. You're going to be the lead for this CASA project. Like, how does that sound? And like, assuming that's a project you'd want to be a, a lead on and you want to help foster kids. What well, we would, uh, we'd then like kind of do some introductions with some of the nonprofit stakeholders at CASA. Where then, you know, we have, like I said, we have a whole kind of script that you follow, like like narrowing down the issues, like figure out what the MVP is that we're going to build them. And uh, and then over the course of like six to eight weeks, you know, you identify all that. And then after those six to eight weeks, we kick off the, uh, uh, the project. Sweet. That's super helpful. Have you managed to c- convert any of the people in the companies that have, uh, not companies, any people in the nonprofits that have come for you to help. Have you managed to convert any of those people into coders by showing them, look, this is super easy. You can just do this. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like more than more than one. Like uh, like Rudo, who was the uh, who or who is the uh, the stakeholder on our Terra Stories project, and uh, like Terra Stories is this really cool project uh, that actually works offline, and they use it in like the the Amazon and different places to preserve like the oral histories of uh, like indigenous people. Like, like Rudo was just like, he was just kind of the stakeholder. He works at this, this, uh, this nonprofit and he, he came in and he, you know, he, like, cause he came to our events and he sits with the team and like in the past couple of years, he's, uh, he's turned into a, you know, a coder himself. Like, and like, it's just, it's phenomenal to see that just 
Right. That you know, and so I imagine in a year or two that he'll uh, yeah he'll be he'll be leading the team himself and leading the code because it's just uh, it's amazing to see. Awesome. We're kind of getting toward the end of our time. Um, anything else that we want to dive into on this before we get to picks? I guess one question that I have, and I've seen this in open source too, is uh, with volunteers, how do you maintain code quality? Oh uh, yeah, uh, good question. Well, like we we try and um, like use some of the uh, some of the the tools that are out there, like the uh, like the code linting tools, the you know the Rubicop, the uh, code climate things like that, just to um, you know for 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 that kind of thing. Uh, and I guess too, I guess we're just like generally we're 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 fairly lucky that a lot of the projects get led by very senior people. Like you know, like we have you know we have like Rails core contributors who who participate things like that. And I'm not saying that, that the quality in all the projects is is fantastic, but it's uh, on some of it, on a lot of them, the, uh, the projects are decent quality. Awesome. All right. Well, if people want to connect with you or stay current on what you're doing with Ruby for Good or anything like that, what, what are the best places to go do that? Sure. Uh, Twitter, probably. Uh, I'm just like at Sean Marcia on Twitter or at Ruby for Good on Twitter uh, will usually uh, find me. Or our Slack, our Slack channel that's open invite. You can just grab an invite off of uh, our website. All right, very cool. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Well, let's do some picks. John, do you want to start us with picks? Yeah, well, since we're um, all staying home for the coronavirus, and uh, I guess now that RailsConf is off, my first pick is actually, so a former rogue, Andrew Mason, is a mentee of mine. And I guess he started trying to see if people might want to do a sort of like an alt conference kind of thing. Uh, so I will have the website in the show notes or whatever, but basically... Um, if if that's some, like a remote kind of conference is interesting to you, um, I'm definitely like, I thought it was an awesome idea. I myself am volunteering to try and see if maybe this will happen, but uh, I'm going to miss RailsConf. It's an alternative thing. So that's one thing. And then secondly, you know, also because we're all at home all the time and now all of a sudden we need more entertainment or whatever have you, or maybe, you know, you need to keep your kid busy for, 30 minutes because you haven't washed the dishes for the day. I, I have a love-hate relationship with Disney, but um, we have Disney Plus now because, well, we're out of things on Netflix. So uh, begrudging, uh, I guess, pick for Disney. <laughs> nice. I've been working on something for uh, Alt-Rails online conference too. So I'll, I'll probably just check in with Andrew and make sure that we're not going to have too close a conflict or anything. To be honest, um, <clears throat> I would love to have two conferences. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> I'm good with that. I just don't want them to be close to the same time or be competing for speakers or anything like that, right? I'd rather have two awesome conferences that it's like, I went to the one, I went to the other, and they both were awesome. And I didn't Absolutely. get... Right, you know what I'm saying. And then on that same vein, I'm going to jump in. Um, I'm also putting together online meetups because a lot of the meetup groups also got canceled. So I'm trying to hold them one in the afternoon U.S. time and one in the morning U.S. time. Um, and then what I'm finding is that... So if I do it at 4 p.m. Mountain Time, that's uh, 2200 UTC, which is rather inconvenient for Europeans, especially as you move further east. So I'm actually going to be mm -hmm. doing two. And the second one's going to be at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, which is 1700 UTC. Oh, that's that, much easier. Yeah, and that winds up being midnight in Japan. But the Japanese folks can join in at 700, um, 0700, or however you say it, uh, the Japanese standard time on the one that I'm doing on Monday afternoon. It'll just be Tuesday morning. So yeah, they might have to get up a little bit early. But what I'm finding is that that, that turns out to be rather convenient for people in like Australia and stuff because that's like 9 a.m. their time. So on that subject, are you open to maybe partnering with local meetup groups that maybe are trying to make this kind of thing happen themselves, but 
maybe perhaps yes. don't have as many people signed up. How, how would you do that? Uh, probably at this point, best to email me, chuck at devchat.tv. I'm definitely open to helping them run something. I had a chat with somebody from the Reason Association for Reason ML on uh, React Roundup right before this. And he was talking that the Reason Association wanted to do a whole bunch of meetups across Europe and they can't anymore. And so, you know, I basically just right. said, well, let me, you know, let me help you, right? Because if all I have to do is uh, make sure you have a place to go to do it, in other words, you use my Crowdcast account. So I set up the event for you and then maybe show up and say, hey, by the way, I'm the podcast guy. Go check out my show. I'm totally good just making that happen. I think there's going to be a lot of that. So yeah, if somebody out there organizes a meetup and you're looking for some help there, or if you're an organizer of a conference and you're going, yeah, we got to shut this thing down, contact me and let me help you make it work. I mean, yeah, I would like to get paid to consult on some of this stuff because I've had some sponsors come to me and say, there's too much uncertainty and we're holding back on any news, any spending, right? So they're not renewing. So it would help me out. But honestly, I want to do this for the community as much as I can. And so, you know, if I have to do it for free, then it just boils down to do I have a few minutes to walk you through the basics, right? And then if you need something more in depth, then, then you probably have to pay me for that time. But um, I'm doing what I can to help folks out. Uh, the ng-conf organizers for Angular are good friends of mine. So I just talked them through it for like 20 minutes. You know, I'm not necessarily willing to do that for everybody. You know, I don't want to commit to that and then have people going, oh, he blew me off because I'm busy. But I, I'm definitely willing to help out where I can. So if you're stuck in a bind, let me know. And yeah, you know, we can consult or you can, you know, send me a few bucks if you have it, or we can just work something out so that we can make sure that the community has what they need to have. So yeah, I'm totally open to helping people out for whatever they whatever they feel like they can give to make it worth it. Uh, I totally cut John off. Any other picks, John? No, you're fine. I, I actually did want to know, I was actually thinking of a completely different angle, which is if you have these meetups going already or, you know, your talks or whatever, you know, someone's given a Ruby talk or something and like the local, you know, maybe having it sort of be an event on the local Ruby meetups page or whatever, where they log into the same event or whatever kind of thing. That's uh, not a bad that idea. Kind of I could reach out to them and just say, hey, here's the link, put it on your events. Yeah. Right. But anyway, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Good deal. Luke, do you have some picks? My pick is Okra, O-C-R-A. Probably familiar with it. It's a one-click Ruby application. And uh, if you need to, if you've written like a, a Ruby app, like maybe a, a Beehive monitoring app, but for some reason, they need to run it on Windows. This is the absolute easiest way I found in and out of running Ruby code on Windows and critically getting someone who's not an expert to make it run. Because we can all run Ruby on Windows, but the actual install process is still quite difficult for some people. So this bundles the whole of Ruby and all your gems into one EXE. When it runs, it unpacks it into a temp directory and just runs it. So it's it's real simple for people to use uh, OCRA one-click Ruby application. There is a newer project. There is a newer project called um, Releasey is the new way of doing it, but I haven't used it yet, so my pick is Okra. Nice. All right, I'm going to jump in with a few picks. So I am going to put links in. Uh, It might take me a minute to get them set up for the Ruby meetup. So if you're looking for that, it'll be in the show notes. And then, yeah, I mean, it's been kind of interesting to watch people react to the coronavirus stuff and just people not knowing exactly where they're going to end up. One thing that I found very, very encouraging, so it's mostly just a pick of people, but um, I've seen stories on Facebook and on news feeds and things like that where folks have actually like gone out and gone shopping for their elderly neighbors so they don't have to go to the store and interact with people since they seem to be at higher risk. Um, I've seen neighbor neighborhoods. Um, somebody put a countywide group together here in Utah County, basically said, if you need something, post it. And if you have extra stuff, post it, right? And so if, you know, if there's something that you're out of at the store, like toilet paper, I still don't get why people ran toilet paper, whatever. They, you know, they could post on there and then other people would just drop it off at their house. 
And, you know, people have really come together on this stuff. I mean, we don't know what the full outcome here is going to be, but just people being good people. And I think that's kind of what the show is all about for the most part too, talking about Ruby for good is just people being good people. So um, I'm going to pick that as well. And then the last pick I have is Slack. And it's not necessarily anything in particular that, you know, Slack, and it's something we kind of all take for granted, but I'm part of a handful of communities on Slack that have just been awesome. And it's, it's a nice way to interact with people. I work from home anyway. It didn't really affect my routine other than that, that I've had to run and do tech support for my kids in the middle of the day. But yeah, you know, just having communities out there and having people... I've had people check in on me. I've been checking in on other people. A lot of that is happening over Slack or over text. And so, you know, just, just be aware of other folks, especially folks who are at risk. And just check in on them and make sure that they're okay. And yeah, you know, we'll all get through this because I think generally people are good people. They're good at taking care of the people around them. And so uh, I guess this is a little bit of a pick of faith in humanity. But yeah, I've been really heartened by a lot of that. Yeah, some of the panic is scary and there are people out there being jerks. But for the most part, I've really seen people come together and I've been really, really happy and impressed by it. So there you go. A little bit of hope. Sean, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I have two. Uh, first one is a book. It's uh, Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast. It's a book on baking uh, bread with just like those four ingredients and you make really nice artisan bread. So uh, if that's ever something you want to wanted to get into, it's I've, I've been baking a lot of bread and it's just been a lot of fun. And I guess like my second one is a same, shameless plug, the uh, Ruby for Good conference or remote event we're going to be doing next month that everyone should come and participate in and help do some good. Awesome. All right, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you for coming, Sean. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and thank you for inspiring people to help because sometimes that's all it takes and it's it's important. Absolutely. All right, we'll have another one next week. Max out, everybody. Take care. Be safe. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more. <laughs>